Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered at Liquid by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty generation. Now, we're live on the web. If you're just joining us for the first time, you may be wondering what this is all about. And for starters, uh, Liquid is a Christian church, which simply means it's a community of people who are followers of Jesus Christ. All right. We believe Jesus is who he claimed to be, the sinless son of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we're trusting him for two things. One, for the forgiveness of our sins, and two, for the giving of new life, an eternal kind of life in which we're actually invited by God to participate. We get to play in his grand mission to heal broken lives and redeem this broken world. And it starts with us, with God's spirit filling each of us. And the church, you know, the Christian church is literally spoken of in, in scripture as the body of Christ. So Jesus promises that anyone who, who would put their faith in him, he would actually pour his own spirit into as a people and then use us as his hands and feet to serve a world in need. And so although it may not look like at any times the church is the most powerful force in the entire world, according to Jesus, it is a single organism that's going to outlive every other organization. When Jesus returns, it will not be Fortune 500 companies or corporations that cash in. It won't be political entities that last, but rather the church of Jesus Christ will prevail, we're told. Because we're the bride of Christ and actually will partner with him to break in the kingdom of God. A kingdom of hope, of love, of actually justice and peace in a very unpeaceful and unjust world. And that's a high calling. Because it means that right now we're the messengers of this good news, that, that, that there's, there's this new life in Christ, there's a new kingdom on its way, we're actually the last, the people who are looked over on the margins will be first, where the broken will be mended, where the hurting are going to have their tears wiped away, and where the widow and the orphan will never be lonely again. And it starts right here in New Jersey at unsuspecting places like Friendlies. <laughs> in kitchens with singles moms, you know, as God makes his appeal through us, through you, through me, his followers. And it does boggle me that we get to be a part of it. You know, I said to Pastor Dave uh, as we were driving back from Friendlies, I was like, so Dave, is this what it was like in the corporate world? You know, Dave's a CPA. He was like a financial officer of International Gas Company. He was like, oh, yeah. He goes, yeah, we used to go out for ice cream in the middle of the day all the time and give away our profits to strangers. Not. (laughs) You know, like where does this happen? Only in the kingdom of God. Only in the church of Jesus Christ. So blessing Eric and his 20-month-old daughter, Grace, that's just the, the second of the six extreme makeover projects we're undertaking in the next three weeks. I told you about the other last week, our first extreme makeover for Claudia, Claudia's Kitchen, a single mom with four great kids. You see her eldest friend, son, Frank, there on the right, was nine years old when a malignant brain tumor left him partially paralyzed with impaired vision. And as a way of expressing God's care in a tangible way, our family, our church family, is going to come together and remodel Claudia's kitchen. We're going to expand the space and update it with with brand new appliances to fulfill her dream and make it more accessible for her and Frank. And what's, again, to me, it's like what's so stirring is that so many of you signed up to help with these projects. Over 250 people last week, which is just awesome. Thank you, guys. We're going to be crawling all over that place, painting, flooring, decorating. And I'm, I'm like so thrilled so many of you signed up because it's going to literally take an army of volunteers to do a first-rate job remodeling this space for Claudia and her son, Frank. Um, but we've got, the, we've got the manpower, the momentum, and, and several of you actually offered to buy brand-new appliances for Claudia and, and outfit her kitchen with, with top, you know, oven, dishwasher, new fridge. Thank you for that. You saw our team designer, Kimberly Light, working on some blueprints this week, and we'll be swinging into action in, in, the, in the weeks to come, so get your hammers and hard hats ready. Now, here's the deal. Michael Coyle is going to serve as project manager of the whole thing, and you should have received, if you signed up, an email from him last week, okay? If you didn't, 
or you didn't get a chance to sign up last week, you can do that right now. In your bulletin is this little sign-up form, Extreme Makeover Church Edition. Pull that out. Just kind of follow along with me. I want to speak to this a minute. And you can just check whatever area you want to, you know, serve in. If you want to say, I want to help with a demo, I got a lot of pent-up anger, that'd be great for me. Um, or, you know, painting, whatever the thing is. Um, just check on right there. Because this is really all about putting our faith into action. Um, the idea is that faith has to have feet if it's authentic. You've actually got to put skin on what we believe about Jesus Christ if it's to be lived out as he intended. Uh, Hebrews 13, 16 is kind of the anchor verse that's serving as our inspiration for this summer of service. Make sure you don't take things for granted and go slack in working for the common good, says the writer of Hebrews. Share what you have with others. God takes particular pleasure in acts of worship, a different kind of sacrifice, not just songs, that takes place in kitchen and workplace and on the streets. That's a message paraphrase. It really perfectly captures it. So that's where we're going, to, literally, to people's workplaces, like friendlies, to the kitchen of a single mom, and on the streets as well as we reach out to the poor, the professionals, and the partygoers this coming weekend. Um, and some of you are going to sacrifice your time. Maybe you're going to get up early to serve breakfast to the day laborers and the commuters in town or stay up late to serve the partygoers at night. Those are the three other opportunities you have to serve this week. Actually, it's this Friday, the 13th of all days, and 14th either in the morning hours, 6 to 10 a.m., or at night, 8 p.m. to midnight. And unless you've been like totally out of the loop, you know we're targeting these three pockets of people in Morristown to serve. The poor, the Honduran and Colombian immigrant population that's huge in our area. Specifically, we're going to reach out to the day laborers who gather each morning at the local uh, train station and feed them breakfast. Uh, give them just kind of a you know, cool, crisp bottled water. You know it's going to be 95 degrees this week. Uh, other stuff throughout the day, and, and a new pair of work gloves. And we're going to be there to interact with them. Many thanks to you who served to sign up as Spanish translators, habla espanol. We needed that. That was huge. Because um, we're hoping to do more than just meet practical needs. We want to bless and minister to them as well. So conversing, being willing to pray or just listen is essential too. So that outreach to the poor, the alien who God loves, we've been talking about that, is on Friday and Saturday, starting at 6 a.m., going to 10 a.m. And new shifts will begin every hour. So like, if, you, if you're like, I can only come from like 9 to 9.45, that's fine. But you will need to sign up in advance today if you haven't already. So we can contact you and coordinate two things. Um, where to meet, all right? Don't like just drive to the train station and like kind of you know, expect to find parking. Um, and, and we'll send you details about that. And to your T-shirt size. We want to be sure everyone has the same kind of you know, T identifying as part of our team. Now, at the same time that we serve the poor, we'll be serving the professionals as well, those commuters who are going into Manhattan, all right? Business folks on the city streets, lots of professionals, creative types in this town, and we'll be giving them same fresh uh, water, a breakfast bar, and a copy of the morning newspaper with a little handwritten note attached, just telling them in a personal way how much they matter to God. Now, that's just literally on Friday morning, obviously. Not many that, you know, commuters on the weekend. But for both the poor and professionals, you can sign up to serve either weekend, next Friday, Saturday, 20th, 21st, whatever, however many times you want. Um, and it was so great that um, we're excited because we're like, you know what, there's strength in numbers. That's why it's great 250 people are signed up. That should be comforting to those of you who are going out to serve the third group, the late night crowd, <laughs> uh, the party goers. Because um, we, we did it this week. We did some research. We mapped out the entire restaurant, club, and bar circuit here in Morristown. So if so if you saw me in the Funky Monkey at 1 a.m., it was just research, okay? It was just research. It comes with a job. What are you going to do? And uh, we're going to be arriving at all those places just as kind of the night crawlers come pouring out Friday and Saturday night. And we're going to flip our breakfast truck at night into a pizza wagon. <laughs> and the idea is we're going to be humbly serving the late night crowd with, you know, hot slices and waters they're milling about and also have a chance to interact and extend spiritual friendship to them too because they matter to God. 
And many of you, maybe, maybe you were once part of that pocket. Maybe you still are, right? You're like, oh, gosh, you, you were in the fucking... I was there, too. Did you see me? Oh, boy. And, <laughs> but you know how lonely that can be when the night winds down and the lights come on and it's time to go home. So you can sign up for that as well. Today is the last uh, day of the sign-ups, and we'll email you details for times next weekend, where to meet, park, what you'll be doing. Sound good? All right? Make sense? All right. Good. Huge thanks to all you who are sacrificing your time to serve, and those of you who are giving your talents. Um, because one of, the, one of the makeover projects we're ready to move on, actually, in the next week or so is, is remember that widow I mentioned, Lorraine Street, a 90-year-old shut-in woman in Baskin Ridge? We're going to landscape for her. She is homebound, a nature lover. Her yard needs an extreme makeover. So on Saturday, July 21st, we're going to descend on her property, plant flower beds, beautify it, set up bird feeders, and just bless someone who's shut in. Maybe the rest of the world's kind of forgotten and just say, you know what, but God hasn't forgotten about you. And neither have his people. So if you have a green thumb, check landscaping, okay? Maybe you got some skills in the garden department. Check that off uh, right there, all right? Now, lastly, i got to thank each of you who sacrificed your treasure. Um, this is what most moving. Um, you know, just giving money to help make the hopes of some of these families in need come true. Just take a moment to share how powerful that's been. Um, last week I told you about um, the single mom in our congregation who has four school-age kids. Uh, who's in urgent need of dental care. Just, just this, you know, she's a humble, godly woman, doesn't like attention, but she's always putting others first. And uh, four of you nominated her for an extreme makeover. And remember when we called her, we said, what would be meaningful to you? She said simply, my children's teeth uh, and, and, my, and my own. They, they haven't had insurance in general cleaning and everything's been neglected, and now it's actually impacting the kids in, in painful ways. And the coolest news is this. Um, this, this is just so awesome. Uh, because, because of the generosity of, of one of the families here in our church and the kindness of, of some, you know, Christian dentist, some of you recommended might do it for cost, et cetera. She and her entire family are going to have their entire dental needs provided for everything taken care of from top to bottom, root canal, bridge work, fillings, cleans. You guys provided for actually everything for the next couple of years, which is just awesome for that. Thank you for giving to that. You know, I was like, I was like, that is so exciting. I'm like, now, are your kids excited about this? You know, like, um, she came in this week. She's kind of was, was, she actually sent an email just telling how much her, your kindness meant to her. She said this note. She said, um, on my way home from Liquid on Sunday, I was in and out of tears at any given moment, still am. My mom took all my kids in her car except for my youngest. So we had a nice ride home alone. My little girl saw my tears and asked if I was okay. I said, yeah, sweetie. Liquid just knocked my socks off with a blessing. They want to help fix my rotten teeth. They want to knock your socks off too. Without missing a beat, she looked at her feet and replied, Mommy, I'm not wearing socks. <laughs> we both smiled and I said, You know what I mean. And then reality hit her and she smiled and she said, You mean they'll fix my rotten teeth too? And she started glowing. Her joy was right out of heaven. This is a Pandora's box for us. See, when my youngest was only one, she was toddling around with a baby bottle dangling from her teeth and she tripped over her older sister who was lying on the floor, crashed down, severing her lower lip and damaging her four uppers. And that one accident has plagued her with dental emergencies, dozens of stitches. You can actually see the telltale white ladder across her lower lip where the doctor sewed her back together. Anyway, the last of the four teeth damaged that day is, is wiggly but not falling out, and she would love to have it pulled to make new for the permanent teeth that will take its place. Well, maybe love is an overstatement. <laughs> but I know she'd like to feel pretty when she smiles because she's very self-conscious about the stitches. Liquid is working miracles that are inspired in heaven. Thank you guys so much, everyone for jumping into God's stream of mercy to send out great depths of blessing for so many people. 
You know what I love about that? That's the perspective of Jesus' church that little girl will have growing up. There are a lot of us in this, this church who are still recovering from childhood experiences with, with dead churchianity. Long on talk, short on love, endless meetings, few, very few miracles. But you know what? This little girl is going to look back and she's going to say, when she's, she's going to be like, the church? Oh, I remember what Jesus' people were like. They were the ones who stepped in and cared for my mom and me when I was little. Folks, that's, that's why the early church was so infectious. Because its faith was so alive, so practical-minded, that ordinary people couldn't help but realize it's the power of God at work through his people. Because this doesn't happen in the kingdom of the world. Acts 2 offers this stirring description of the early Christian church. It says, The believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone got together and worshipped and prayed together. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Get this. Do you get this? The early church wiped out poverty. I mean, I mean, talk about a prevailing church, one that only like God can get the credit for, because this doesn't happen in the real world. It says, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. See, when the church of Jesus Christ begins acting like Jesus Christ, serving one another, sacrificing for our world with humility and generosity, what happens? Lives change. People get saved. Because heaven, the kingdom of heaven, comes down to earth and physical needs open up spiritual opportunities. And the best part is God gets the credit. So again, huge thanks to each one of you who is giving to meet the needs of your brothers and sisters and strangers, people you don't even know. Because that's an eternal investment you're making, and I hope you know God's pleasure with that. And, uh, and if you, again, if you'd like to donate to these needs today, go for it. The best is yet to come, I think, in the next two weeks. We're going to spend over uh, about $20,000 to meet the needs of uh, these folks in need of a uh, lift around us. And um, here's the deal. I want to make this real clear. When it comes like to giving, it's not about the amount. <laughs> It is all about your heart. One of the largest gifts that we received this week, it was kind of a staggering gift, and it came with a single condition, that it remained totally anonymous. <laughs> they were like, if you, if you mention it, I'll, we'll revoke it. I was like, well, I mentioned it generally. Okay. And they're like, they didn't want any highlight because it's just what they felt God wanted them to do. And it was a significant, I can tell you that. And another gift came from a woman. She actually wrote, she said, you need to know this. My family lives paycheck to paycheck, but we voted. Because we want to give something together. Now, that was a smaller gift, but you know what? It's irrelevant. Because its significance is huge in God's sight. Because it's not about the amount. It's about your heart. And when your heart begins to get in tune with the things that God's passionate about, and, and to give a little, even when you, when you have even less, it reflects Jesus' character. So you give cheerfully, not in response to pressure. Respond as you feel led. In fact, we're going to give you a chance to do that right now. I'll bring our ushers down to receive our offering. And again, no pressure, no guilt. If this is your first time visiting with us, do not feel obligated to give. We are not after your money. Your presence is your gift to us, all right? But when we do this, giving offerings is like a simple way that we give back to God and actually contribute to the ongoing work that he's doing in the world around us. So ushers, why don't you come on down and uh, you can receive the offering at, uh, at this time. 
Uh, also, this is a moment to hand in the sign-up form. So if you checked one of those boxes and you didn't last week, put your name, email, just fold that over, stick that in the, uh, the offering bucket as well, okay? And we will email you this week and make sure that you are able to serve alongside of us uh, next, next weekend. Okay. Well, let me invite you to turn quickly to Matthew chapter 6. I just want to spend a few minutes um, kind of preparing our collective heart for serving the next two weeks. Uh, you might have noticed we got new Bibles here for you on the seat. In case you don't have yours, you can simply turn with me to page 672. It's the Gospel of Matthew. This is the first book of the New Testament. And if you need a Bible, feel free to steal this one. <laughs> Take it home with you, okay? We'll get more. We've got more. They're meant to be read and used. And this is, our, this is what you need to know. This is our primary playbook here at Liquid, okay? We are a, a Bible teaching and a Bible doing church. So all good ideas like that we have for serving kind of flow out of God's revealed word, particularly the revelation we have in the life of Jesus Christ. And this passage in Matthew 6 is an appropriate one for us to look at before we launch out to serve this weekend because it's really all about the internal motivation behind our service. Um, this is part of Jesus' longest recorded sermon. It was called the Sermon on the, anyone? Mount. And in the opening verses, Jesus gives special instruction to his followers about how critical it is to serve others with a pure heart, the spirit in which it's supposed to be done. Let's, let's read this together. You can follow along with me. Matthew 6, verses 1 through 4. Jesus said to them, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. I stop there. Now, here's the deal. That's great. We're headed out to serve this weekend, but in, you know, in a very practical way to meet the needs of our uh, people. But here's the deal. This is not supposed to be something new or novel <laughs> among God's people. Giving sacrificially of our time, talents, and treasure to help others has been a central foundation of our Judeo-Christian heritage. This goes back thousands of years. In fact, the Jewish believers of Jesus' day actually had three main avenues for putting their faith in action. You see how verse 1 says, mentions doing acts of righteousness? In, Jew, in the Jewish faith, there were three primary acts of righteousness. The first was, look at the, look at the heading, giving to the needy. Does anyone want to take a guess what the, what the second two Acts of piety were, you look, you're a Bible scholar. Look at, the, look at the heading in the next two sections. About what? Prayer and then about fasting. Yeah, prayer and fasting. So Jesus in his sermon, he's addressing the three key public demonstrations of spiritual faith for Jewish people. But out of the three, the most esteemed public display of righteousness was the giving of alms. The, the Jewish apocryphal book of Tobit says this, prayer with fasting is good, but better than both is almsgiving. Maybe you've heard that phrase, alms for the poor, alms for the poor. And this was simply the practice of charity or giving money to families or individuals who weren't able to provide for themselves. So performing acts of mercy, it was like one of the central pillars of religious life in ancient Israel where Jesus ministered. In fact, check this out. The very construction of the Jewish temple ensured it would be front and center. Listen to this. The Jewish temple of Jesus's day literally had dedicated money chests built into the walls of every entrance and exit. They were shaped like giant baskets that kind of tapered down into a funnel, almost like a toll collector basket on the parkway. You know what I'm talking about? Remember those old school, like, toll? I know we all use EasyPass now, right? 
Uh, those old school tolls, you, you know, toss coins in. Anyway, when the devout Jews entered the temple, they would drop their coins in the church coffers. And, and when they exited, they could also put their donations to the poor as well. So early on in the Jewish faith, folks would go to church and literally be reminded when they walked in and out to practice what was preached. And the church was literally designed for outreach. And Jesus is like, that's awesome. But there's a specific aspect of this I'm kind of concerned with. I'm actually not that interested in what you give or what you do, but why you give it or why you do it. What's your motivation? In other words, when you give to those in need, are you doing it out of genuine compassion for people? Or are you doing it to be seen by them, to be noticed or celebrated as, ah, what a generous person? The larger issue that Jesus is warning his followers about is that whenever we reach out to put our faith into action, it's extremely easy for devout followers to do the right thing for the wrong reason. (laughs) And this is key for us here at Liquid, especially as we flow out this weekend to serve our neighbors in need. Jesus is warning us that serving others can actually be tainted by selfish motives. Motivation is everything Jesus says. I know it's like in the world, image is everything. but, But the motivation is everything for Jesus. And the first motivation that he challenges us with is really in the form of a question. Is what you're doing motivated by self-recognition? Like, hey, look at me! Or God recognition? No, no, no. Look at at Jesus. Whenever we step out to sacrifice ourselves for others, whether it's time, talents, money, there lurks in ugliness in the shadowy part of our fallen heart that actually wants to make it about us. I know it's kind of ugly. It's sneaky. It's stealthy. But, but there's this corrupt motive to actually draw attention to ourselves, always lurking out the door, just waiting to suddenly creep in there and pollute our charity. Give you an example. Any Yankee fans here? Yankee fans? I know, you know, I know, what's going on here? What is happening here? I know, I am depressed. You know, let's pray. Let's just pray for them, you know? <laughs> it's like, I was at a Yankee game a couple of years ago when, when, when they made this charitable donation to the Make-A-Wish Foundation, which is awesome. You know, they, they make the dream of terminally ill kid come true. Before the Yankee game begins, they paraded on the field Derek Jeter with this over, you know those huge checks, this oversized huge checks, and they announced on the PA, right? And now, 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 please, please, please focus your attention, attention, attention behind home plate. You know, where Yankee captain Derek Jeter presents a check for 200, 100, 100, 1,000, 1,000, dollars, you know, to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And sure enough, Jeter holds this huge oversized check to give it to the Make-A-Wish guy, and like 50,000 people are like, yeah, yeah, and there's just throwing a newspaper photographers, they're snapping away flash bulbs everywhere. Here's the deal. Great cause, Make-A-Wish, very generous gift. I mean, 200 grand is nothing to sneeze at. And while, you know, I'm a diehard Yankees fan, I couldn't help but stop and just think about this for a minute. I mean, it benefits the needy, sure. But you know who else it benefits? Yeah, the Yankees, right? I mean, just the trappings, this, this, this huge oversized check so everyone can see it on the Jumbotron. The, the PA announcer revealing that 200, 100, 100, 1,000, 1,000, 1,000, you know, and broadcasting it on TV. And, and it's philanthropy, but you know what? It's also good PR, isn't it? And, and it hasn't eluded me the, the irony that we just shot a video giving away a check. I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> okay? <laughs> yeah, you catch that? Yeah, okay, yeah. We need to address that. But this, was, but this is what public relations do in the corporate world. They announce their good deeds. And, and sure, the donation brings help to the least of these, but also brings attention to the organization. That's standard operating procedure in the kingdom of the world. Corporate charity is, is, is often calculated to generate recognition and applause. Look how, man, the Yankees, wow. But in God's eyes, according to Jesus in this passage, in the kingdom of God, it actually counts for nothing. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men, to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward 
from your Father in heaven. In other words, whenever we give or serve and sacrifice and make it about the secondary gain of being recognized or, or celebrated by onlookers, it actually invalidates the gift in God's eyes. When we get the applause of men, it's like you've got your reward. It's not service that brings credit to God. It's charity that draws attention to you. And this is why, for instance, whenever we go out to, you know, shoot one of these videos, and we have a lot of fun doing it, like, we, you know, the video we just showed you, I stop to pray and ask God, you know, to really guide us first. Because you know what? We, we just made this video, right, presenting a check <laughs> to someone in need. And we just put it up here on these two large screens, and you know what? It'll be on the Internet by Tuesday, and then by Friday, 7,000 people will download it. And, that, and then iTunes. And that's cool in one sense, because you know what? That's a great example of, like, what the church can be. That's awesome. But on a personal level... Our leadership team, we always have to check our motives. Like, is, this, is this like about, you know, making our church look good or, or generating good publicity? Or, or is it about, is, is, did it, was it born out of sincere compassion? A desire to actually be useful to someone in need to make God look good. Because he's the only one deserving of praise and credit. We get to humbly help. But it's about making Jesus famous in the world around us, not us. So, so that's something we always kind of sort through as a leadership team. Why are we doing this? What's, what's the motive behind this? In the case of the Friendlies video, we're like, we, we thought it was worth doing because we, we wanted it to be a personal illustration of just how God puts everyday people in our lives that we can actually make a huge difference with. I mean, there's so many ways to do this. You know, I, I showed you that stack of nominations, all those that weren't selected. You know what? Someone asked me, they said, what's going to happen to all those people? <laughs> you know what? Maybe some of you are the answers to the prayers of the people you nominated. Like, if, if you were hoping to get, like, your single-parent neighbor, you know, like, she is just so fried, she needs a weekend away, man, maybe, maybe you're the babysitter. <laughs> the, the point is, anytime you reach out to, to serve and give of yourself, Jesus is like, every one of my fathers needs to do introspection, inner, inner searching of your heart for the motives behind your service. Is this for appearances or for recognition or, or out of compassion and a sincere desire just to be useful to God? That's why Jesus enlarges uh, in verse 2 here. He says, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets. <laughs> Look what I did. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. And this is kind of cool. This is, this is like fascinating tidbit for the day. Jesus literally meant this in a literal way. Check this out, little in detail. These money chests built into the walls of the Jewish temple. I told you what shape they were in, right? Fat at the top, kind of funneling down. Do you know what they were made out of? Brass. And they were called shofar chests. Does anyone know what a shofar is in Judaism? Maybe you've seen one at like a, you know, I don't know, a, a bris or something like that. It, it's a ram's horn, you know, where it's wide. And, and the Jewish people used to blow ram's horns, shofars, as trumpets. It's wide at the top, tapers down this tiny opening at the bottom, made out of brass. So literally, these shofar chests were like literal trumpets. And so when you came to church, you threw your coins into the shofar chest like a good, devout Jew. And guess what happened as it went down? <laughs> yeah, Vegas, baby, Vegas, right? Cha-ching, like, like a slot machine. You get the idea? So guess what happens when a particularly rich person came along and gave a large gift? It literally was like, you know, the Flamingo Hotel, okay? And Vegas like... And everyone would be like, whoa, who's a heavy roller, you know? Like all these coins going down, clattering down. Imagine me taking a thing of coins and dumping it into a tuba. That's what it would have sounded like in the middle of church. <laughs> and everyone would go, whoa, heavy hitter, right? And the trumpets would literally sound. And next would turn to see who the big donor was. 
So when Jesus says, when you give, do not announce it with trumpets. <laughs> He's saying, don't serve because it draws attention to you or makes you look good. That's, that's tainted ministry. And this is ironic, isn't it? <laughs> Jesus is like, what, what can first start out as, hey, it's not, it's not about you, <laughs> can subtly morph in, over time if you're not regularly checking your heart and actually make it all about me. Look at me. We have a phrase for this that carries over to the modern day, modern day terms. You know, at work, when someone, or a friend, when, when, they, when, when someone wants others to notice their accomplishments, we say, oh, there goes Chris again, tooting his own. That's where this came from. That's literally where this phrase comes from from the shofar displays in the Jewish temple. So Jesus is kind of calling it out here to his disciples. He's taking them aside and giving them a little advanced spiritual training. He's like, okay, we're going out to do ministry. We're going to help people need. Awesome. Now here's the deal. When you, whenever you guys serve, when you give yourself to help others, don't toot your own horn. <laughs> don't clamor for recognition or look for that secondary gains, what you can get out of it. Don't do as the hypocrites do. He uses this Greek term, Hippocrates, which was used by the Greeks for actors <laughs> who put masks on to play different roles. You know what we use you know, hypocrite for in the modern world, to refer to someone who does one thing outwardly, but actually on the inside, there's an entirely different thing happening, but they just you know, kind of mask it. You know? And I know this is an uncomfortable thing to confront in ourselves, but here's the deal. We all have this inside. <laughs> we're all crackpots, all right? God wants to use us, but we're cracked. <laughs> and so whenever we do a church-wide outreach like this, we're like, it, it is part of our responsibility to spend some time beforehand preparing our hearts with God's word, with the spirit, just calling out the junk that can taint it. And ask God to purify our motives so we can be actually useful to him. And so God can actually get the glory out of what happens. Would you flip over one page, flip back one page to Matthew 5, 14 and 16. This will help guide us. This is at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus says this. He says, um, you guys are, are the light of the world. Uh, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they actually put it on a stand. And, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way... Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise who? Your father in heaven. In other words, any authentic act of serving should enlarge God's reputation, not our own. And notice there's actually nothing wrong with our actions being noticed. Notice how Jesus says, he's like, go ahead. Hey, let your, this is a pretty dark world. Would you let your light shine before men that they can actually see your good deeds? Put your faith on display in this dark world. Make a video if you like. I want your light to shine. People should see what you guys invest yourselves in and be like, wow. What it, just be careful where you direct any resulting praise or glory. It needs to go to your father, not you, not the church, but to God alone. In other words, when we do the right thing for the wrong reason, we're actually stealing from God. I mean, think about this, right? This is about giving. When we give to others sacrificially, we can actually, at the same time, steal from God. If we're privately hoping that, you know, the accolades come to us. The challenges Jesus is laying out here is to serve others with the mentality of a very humble servant that, you know what, this isn't about me or actually even about you, the person being served. It's about my father. <laughs> he want, he, he's the one who wants to bless you and for some reason he, he, he asked me to come and show his love to you this way. It was interesting, last summer this time, a journalist for the Courier News kind of caught, he called went about a free market outreach. Remember that last year? We kind of took over the green to serve 500 of the poorest families in Morristown and he wanted to write an article about it. And he showed up at our church, took some pictures of folks kind of loading up a truck and uh, interviewed a couple of our volunteers, I think. And then he came looking for me, just wanted to ask some questions. And I was staying in the truck with some other leaders. And he was like, hey, how you doing? Jim so-and-so, Courier News. Hey, love the free market thing. A couple questions. First one, whose idea was this? 
And we just kind of stood there like speechless because in that moment, we're all moments. Because at that moment, we were confronted with a chance to be credit-seeking. Well, um, you know, Gretchen kind of thought of it, and Mike ordered the truck, and, and, and she Lex wrote the check. And, you know, and that's, a na- that's a natural question the, the, the world wants to know. Who should get the credit for this? But Scripture tells us our answer is to be actually very simple. God alone. This is actually was his idea. In sending his one and only son, in giving him freely as a gift to us, sacrificing his life in our greatest moment of need, that's where the love comes from. That's where we got the idea. And that's actually what we told the reporter. We're like, uh, real candidly, sir, we believe like God's been extravagantly generous in giving Jesus to us. And we just wanted to show a, an ounce of that love to our neighbors. That's what our faith is about. Um, God makes all things new. We're trying to be a part of it. It's his idea. It's a redirect. It's very subtle, very small shift in focus. But guess what? It makes all the difference according to Jesus. Serving has to be tempered by humility. The two go hand in hand. So next weekend, practically speaking, as we all go out to serve together, we hope you're going to have a very simple response if people ask, why are you doing this? Because people are going to ask that. And the answer is, because Jesus came to serve. And I want to follow his example by serving you. That's it. Easy. Freely we've received, now freely we give. Christ started, I'm only passing it on in his name. Blame Jesus, it was his idea. (laughs) God started it 2,000 years ago. Think you can do that? Orient your heart heavenward as you're kind of kneeling to serve, not to us, but to God's name be the glory. This is an invitation, all right? It's kind of for all of us to check our motives. It's kind of a call of purity to heart. No matter how you give or serve next Friday or Saturday or in the weeks to come, Jesus, he, he's like, anyone who wants to follow me, you've got to work on this. <laughs> he's challenging each of us to closely monitor what those motives are in there. Consider why you're doing this each time you pause to serve or, 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 or place your offering in the basket. Is this out of, like, obligation or duty or uh, appearances? Or is it genuine gratitude for what God's done and given you? That's a question our leadership team always asks of ourselves along the way. And we actually came up with a number of misguided motives that could potentially derail our outreach if we let them subtly sneak in there. And, and here's the deal. This isn't to shame anybody or get you to like, feel bad. It, it's just an invitation to purify your heart before God. I'm doing this today too, same thing. Just t- Jesus is teaching seriously and say, hey, you know what? Renew a right spirit in me so that what I do this weekend can be done out of generosity and love for Christ and compassion for others. Here are the top five misguided motives for next weekend, we thought. The first one is, um, is to see this as an opportunity to do a good deed and get that really good fuzzy feeling <laughs> that comes from helping others. <laughs> you, ever, you ever have someone say that? You know, like, oh, man, you're going to give, but wait till you see what you get back. You're going to feel all warm and fuzzy. You know? um, that kind of goes unquestioned in most, most churches and, and service projects. In fact, it's often used to recruit people like, the real benefit is what this does for you. You're going to feel better. On my... And you know what? You are going to feel good about making a difference. But if your serving is contingent on like getting that fuzzy feeling, if it's, it's, it's not actually pure Christ-centered serving. Rather, we're giving to get something. Whereas true Christian love, if it really flows out of like pure affection for God, it loves simply for the sake of love. That's it. Not looking to feel better about ourselves. If anything secondary is sought, it's actually to bring glory and honor to our Father and that God would get something out of this. So here's the truth. Here's the reality. Most of you will experience some... It's, it's like this unexpected joy that comes from washing the feet of others. There, 
Every time this happened, you feel a closeness to God when you spend yourself serving the poor. That's a byproduct of our serving, but it can just never be the point or goal of it. It comes, in fact, because we've actually spent extended time in the presence of Jesus. Because he says, actually, when you hang out with the least of these, the poor and the forgotten, it's like you're doing it unto me. So you're going to spend time with me next weekend. You ready to see Jesus next weekend? (laughs) Secondly, it's critical that we don't use this outreach as a way to assuage our guilt for neglecting to help in the past. Um, When you see the scope of the need on Saturday morning, all these immigrant workers are going to be lined up along the fence, many of them speaking little or no English, most living in cramped conditions. At some point, your mind's going to start recalling all the relative affluence most of us live in and actually how little we do on a daily basis to reach out. It can be a source of tremendous guilt. Uh, most times, if I'm completely honest with you, reaching out to like serve the poor, it's not in my top 10 list day to day. Uh, I don't live right next to him, kind of like in this little suburban area. Uh, typically, I'm busy just trying to provide for my own family. And it's only around holidays or special projects that I like, kind of get resensitized to how much folks really need my help. And so the thinking goes, if you let your flesh do it, the best way for me to get rid of that guilt is to go do something nice for them. <laughs> Wrong. You don't get rid of your guilt by going to make amends or doing good to those you've neglected. You get rid of your guilt at the cross through the blood of Jesus Christ. You actually bring it to God first for complete forgiveness. You, you confess your apathy. You just admit your neglect like, oh, Lord, here's another way I'm, I'm, I failed you. Thank you for grace. Thanks that you love me even when I don't measure up. That you offer me selfless love, even when I'm self-absorbed. Would you forgive me and give me new eyes to see the things that break your heart? And then guess what? You can go in freedom to love and serve others with a heart that has been literally washed and renewed. God is not interested in our guilt offerings. That's, okay, that's Old Testament, the guilt offerings. And the poor don't need our token touches simply because the well-off feel bad. They are our brothers and our sisters, and it's our privilege to serve them. Now, the third misguided motive is to see this outreach as a way of picking up some great war stories to, uh, to tell others about. <laughs> um, you know, you can kind of draw a crowd when you have an exciting story to tell. Dude, you should have seen what happened this weekend. What happened? Well, I went to serve the needy and Morris. Dude, you should have seen. There was just, like this one homeless lady. She was like way out. Uh, she had like these, she had these like dreadlocks. She was like talking to herself. She's like taking slips out of a fast. Dude, she was like totally gone. But um, later, I went up to talk to her. Yeah, I, you know, just, uh, wow, I could never do such, you, you, are, you are courageous. You are, you know, seeking applause or accolades. This is the focus on the shock value of, of you know, experience to tell others rather than the, the quieter discipline of secrecy. Do you know that secrecy is a discipline in Jesus's mind? That's why Jesus, he caps his teaching with these words, right? He says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your father, who sees what's done in secret, he will reward you. In other words, Jesus is saying, like, there's this sense that the truly purified heart is so empty of itself, it it results in, like, unawareness of of what it's even doing. Secrecy is a spiritual discipline. So here's the deal. You're likely going to meet some colorful characters out there on the streets next weekend. Guaranteed. Especially if you're doing our late night bar outreach, okay? That's fine. No matter, here's the deal. Be yourself. You be humble. You be prayerful. You be ready to help and look for nothing in return. 
And you'll, and you'll have your reward. There will be plenty of time to talk about it in heaven when all God's kids are together and the father throws a party. It's like, so what happened out there? You know, we'll have a great time rehashing stuff then. But for now, we train our hearts, okay? Now, the fourth skewed motive is to see this as a chance to show folks how nice our church is and how much we Christians have been un- misunderstood. Go ahead, Kath. We kind of call this religious vanity. <laughs> um, here, here's the deal. Um, this is, this is probably one I have a real hard time with because it frustrates me. It kind of nauseates me whenever I turn on like CNN and I see like the two or three chosen Christian spokesperson who are kind of yelling at Larry King at some point and telling him all the things that Christians are against. <laughs> because that's, it, it's upsetting to me because it, it, it's like the body of Christ for too long. It's become like the mouth of Christ. The hands and feet have been amputated. All the things we're against, we're against this, we're against this, we're against this. And it's like, what, are we for anything? Are we for ending poverty? Are we for relieving suffering for people who are the least of these? Are we for anything? Okay, it upsets me. All right, there, you see it. All right. The misguided motive we see, now here's our chance to play the hero role. We're not the bad Christians. We're the real ones. We're the good guys. Right? And when you, when, when you start concerning yourself with how you'll be seen or viewed... It requires introspection. Say, oh, God, here we go again. Yep, search me. <laughs> no, me. There's, there's the flesh coming out. Cut off that fat. <laughs> Here's the deal. A very likely byproduct or side effect of, of serving humbly, people will begin thinking differently of you. <laughs> they will know we are Christians by our love, not our words. Anytime you put the needs of others in front of your own, it's, it's going to impact your reputation. But again, it can't be the primary goal. That's religious vanity, and it's the essence of what Jesus is condemning here. So here's the deal. You put on a T-shirt. Our T-shirt's going to say, because it's not about us, and that's true. But here's the, here's the truth. People should feel that, whether you're wearing a T-shirt or not. And most importantly, they should feel it's truly about God caring for them through you. So, finally, we just want to say, you know, don't, we, we don't want anyone to come to this outreach thinking this is a chance, and, and this is the phrase I love, to, to stoop down with benevolence to those people. Who are those people? You know, the ones who really need our help, <laughs> right? I mean, this is called self-righteousness. That's a fancy term for it. Like, here's the deal. The poor next weekend are in need of many things. Um, they emailed me and let me know there's one thing they don't need, our pity <laughs> or our condescension. And it's critical that we empty ourselves of any hints of that as we go out to serve. Uh, Mother Teresa is like one of my heroes, and you likely know of her incredible work caring for the poorest of the poor in Calcutta, India. I mean, you talk about a woman who took Jesus at his word. She's like, all right, I'll do it. She literally spent her life caring for three pockets of people, orphans, street orphans, those with leprosy, people who no one would touch in the dying, probably the most selfless follower of Christ in our generation. And in training the Catholic sisters who came to serve with her, here's what she taught them. She said, never forget my children that the poor are our masters. The poor are our masters. That's why we should love them and serve them with utter respect and do what they bid us. Do you not believe that it can happen, on the other hand, that when we treat the poor like they're a garbage bag in which we throw everything we have no use for, food we don't like or that's going bad, we throw it there. Perishable goods past their expiration date and which might harm us, go in the garbage bag. In other words, go to the poor. An article of clothing that's not in style anymore, that we don't want to wear again, that goes to the poor. This does not show any respect for the dignity of the poor. This is not to consider them our masters, but to consider them less than our equals. 
I usually say to our coworkers, I do not need your surplus. I do not want you to give me your leftovers. Our poor do not need your condescending attitude or your pity. The poor need one thing, your love and your kindness. When we go out to serve this weekend, we are serving kings and queens. The poor are our masters. How will, how will we view the immigrants at the train station as, you know, in, as our inferiors or as our masters, as people who are made in the image and likeness of God, just like us, and from whom we actually have much to learn? <laughs> do, we, do we have anything to learn from the poor? <laughs> Remember last week, what, what, do we, what do we talk about in Matthew 25? That whenever we stop to serve a stranger in need, we give a cup of cold water to the thirsty or a meal to the hungry or visit the, the sick when they're shut in or, or the prison we go visit. It, in some mysterious way, Jesus is like, it's actually like serving Jesus himself. I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. I'm going to have that burning in my head. Remember this as you serve the immigrant or the widow or the fatherless kids these next few weeks. This is Jesus standing in front of you. Can you see it? I know, it's a disguise. In the eyes of the day laborer who doesn't speak your language, is far from home, living on the margins, Jesus. In disguise. Mother Teresa actually was fond of saying that the rags of the homeless are the clothes of Christ. Just one of his more clever disguises. So Friday, Saturday, in a profound and mysterious way, you've got to prepare to meet Jesus <laughs> and the crowds of people that we're going to be ministering to on the streets. So meet him there. We're going to touch others, but God will touch us in return. So here you go. Take a look over that list of misguided motives. Just real quick, which one do you see yourself most you know, in? What are you most prone to? I looked at that and I see a piece of myself in each one, honestly. Like, you know, I told you about the, you know, uh, I wanted to strike a different note for Christianity or, you know, I love to tell stories or, again, folks, not to shame anyone or cause you have second thoughts. We're human beings, but God's transforming us by his spirit. We still battle with the flesh and that's why Jesus taught this in Matthew 6. He's like, when you step out for me, you got to inspect your motives. Purify your heart when you put your faith into action in a public way. It matters greatly why we do what we do. And I, I honestly believe I, I, if we can come with a humility of heart to serve these next two weeks, I have a feeling there is no limit on what God might choose to accomplish to us. Because it's like when God's children covenant to do the right thing for the right reason, God never fails to glorify himself in powerful ways. He works through humble hearts to melt the most hardened of hearts in the most broken of lives. Amen? Let's stand together for prayer, okay? We just want to invite God in to purify our collective heart as a church, all right? Jesus, here we are. Um, just real, Lord, in a moment of uh, honesty and candor before you. Uh, Lord, I confess my own um, mixed motives at times. Um, we're just a bag of contradictions, Lord, but we're trying to follow you. Uh, we believe you've put these opportunities in front of us. We just confess, Lord, to you that we need now your, your Holy Spirit to come and do some work in us and prepare us to serve, prepare us to see you in the eyes of the widow and the orphan and the alien, Lord. Um, we want it to be an amazing experience, Lord, but we also just we put no expectations on it. We just ask you to show up. Continue your work among us, Lord, as a people. And we ask that any... Um, any resulting great things that happen would just totally reflect onto you. 
and give you great honor and praise, Jesus. Because you're worth it. We ask that in your name, Jesus. All God's people said.